We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. guys. <clears throat> On this week's Urgent Education, I want to expose a false narrative. But first, I must apologize for last week. I just could not find the time to get our Urgent Education done. So here I am today. And I want to tackle the narrative that the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. Okay. Uh, I did not know this until um, I began researching it and I watched uh, a course about it from Chris Ann Hall. And one of the things that she brought out in her instruction is that the 19th Amendment, like if you look it up anywhere on Google, if you go even to the, the United States government website, they will tell you that the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. That is a false statement, and I'm going to prove it to you today. It's fascinating. But why would people um, spin these tales? Why would they spin these narratives uh, and cause decades of people to believe when it's literally before our eyes in black and white, but a lot of us don't know where to look or what, you know, how to find out the information the only reason can be to divide our population and to make some victims and some not victims. Um, my peer, uh, Coach Greg, he's a, a black gentleman, and we do our podcasts every week, and we have very interesting conversations before we actually go live. We're going to start um, releasing those conversations because they're very interesting. I, I do say so myself. But he um, is studying narratives that get sewn into society that then cause issues for people. So you begin to believe something, but is it actually true? He's also into systems in the process of thinking. Well, part of his research, because he's getting his doctorate, was looking into some of the narratives that people have believed concerning anything. It doesn't matter. It can be race. It can be women's rights. It can be anything. In his research, he came across what's called the Bacon Rebellion. And the Bacon Rebellion was basically um, a guy that owned some land, and he wanted the governor, and I think it was Virginia. I'm not sure. I could be completely wrong uh, as far as the state. But he wanted the governor to go and take the land from the Native Americans, from the Indians. And the governor's like, no. And see, one of the myths that people don't realize is we didn't steal land uh, from the Native Americans. Like Pennsylvania was bought, Connecticut. 
We bought it from them, but then later, when Britain began to pay them to attack us and try to weaken us, that's when the battle really started between the ethnicities. But at that time, we, we only would buy land, and uh, the governor's like, no, I'm not going to go take their land. That's not how this works. So he got a whole bunch of people, and this was like in, I think it was like 16-something, if I'm not mistaken. So he got a whole bunch of people. They, um, you know, moved upon the governor. They attacked the governor and his house and all of that stuff. They quelled the rebellion. But what they realized is that they almost lost it because he was able to convince the poor and the black community uh, that they needed to take that land and they came together um, as one and almost accomplished what they set their mind to do. That is when the very first phrases of calling white people white and black people black began. Before then, let's say my ancestors came from England, we were, we were English. Um, if you came from Ireland, you were Irish. If you came from Germany, you were German. Um, there was no black race, white race. So I thought that was very fascinating. He shared this with me. I'm like, trust but verify. So I looked into it. It's a very um, interesting story. So what they did, the reason they started using those terms, is the governor and the, and the other uh, officials realized that they had to spread discord between the two races to keep them apart, but also they had designs to make one race um, deeper into slavery, which again, that's a false narrative that this country began on slavery. I could go into that right now, but I don't have time, but I did go into it in my BLM series uh, on We the Deplorables podcast, so you can go listen to it there. All that to say that there's always a purpose behind a narrative. No one just shares things with you unless they have a purpose. Now, let's say that you're in a, a relationship with someone, like a friendship, and you're sharing a story. Well, what's your purpose? You want to have a connection. You might have something funny to share, and you want them to laugh as well. There's always a motive behind a narrative. When people are controlling the narrative of the masses, typically the motive behind that is for their own gain. This is the same thing with the myth that women did not have the right to vote until the 19th Amendment. So let me read you what the 19th Amendment actually says. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Okay, so it's saying... It won't deny a person's right to vote, and it will not mess with a person's right to vote uh, on account of sex, your gender, which most people don't believe it. So, you know, that they, I mean, not most people, but some people out there don't believe we have two genders, but um, the people that wrote the 19th Amendment do. Okay, notice it does not say it gave women the right to vote. And the reason why is we were voting way before the 19th Amendment. So let me break down what actually happened. This is fascinating. And we have to ask ourselves as females, why do the people that are controlling the narrative want us to be victims? Okay, we have to ask those questions. So the 19th Amendment was ratified August 18th, 1920. And, um, and by the way, 
sometimes people will say, well, woman's not even in the Constitution. Well, it's just like the word man in the Bible. One of the words for man is uh, a word that means human, mankind, male and female. And then you have other Hebrew words for male and female or man and woman. And it's very important to know which one is which. So if you go back to the pre-fall, it says that he gave man dominion. That word right there is male and female. That's why um, it was warned that the woman would want to lord over or lord with her husband because before the fall, she was a co-equal when it came to rule. Post-fall, she was now in danger because she was physically weaker and she needed her husband to protect her from wild beasts as well as wild uh, beasts that come in the form of humans. And so uh, in the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence is the same thing. The word man there includes all genders, all races, okay? So that's not an argument that women cannot vote. All right, um, now, the Constitution, remember, does not grant things. The Constitution was the, the definition of the role of the federal government, which, by the way, they've gone way outside of it. Okay, we, the people, created the states, the states created the Constitution, and so states' rights were very important. Women voted, uh, and also freeholders or uh, people of color that were not slaveries, in the colony, and they could vote even before then from 1215. So all races, all genders were voting. Now, a freeholder um, wasn't just like a racial term. It also meant someone who owned land. There are so many drawings and proof that black people voted. That meant they had to have land. So, and again, I wish I could get into it, but I don't have time. So we've got people voting of all genders, all races since 1215. We have Mary Ludwig, Ludwig Hayes, they called her Molly Pitcher, who fought on the battlefield. She carried water to the soldiers, nursed them, and then when her husband fell, she manned the cannon for the rest of the day. Mercy Otis Warren was the first American playwright. So this is back in the Revolutionary time. She was a satirist uh, against the British. She was a historian. She wrote a three-volume work on the Revolution and shows how it started off and kind of kicked off. She was also a political advisor. Okay, so this is back in the day of the Revolutionary War and before. We also have Hannah Winthrop. Um, she said, be it known unto Britain, even American daughters are politicians and patriots and will aid the good work with their female efforts. And this was actually written to Mercy uh, Otis Warren, who wrote the three-volume history. Um, and then British General Cornwallis, that name, he was very famous, an officer told Lord Cornwallis not long ago that he believed if he had destroyed all the men in North America, we should have enough to do to conquer the women. <laughs> I love it. And that was a letter written to him in, um, oh, I don't have a hair. What the heck? Um, May 20th, 1781. So the picture that is forming We've got ethnicities and genders, voting, holding offices, writing historical works. We've got a general telling 
uh, or a, a, an officer telling General Cornwallis that even if there were no men on the American continent, they probably wouldn't be able to conquer just the women that were left. So we have a definite coexistence of the two genders and a, a sharing of power uh, and the building of this nation, okay? Then Wentworth uh, Cheswell was the first black mayor in 1770, and he also sounded the alarm like Paul Revere. He was warning them. By the way, Paul Revere didn't say the British are coming. He said the regulars are coming because people were British. I mean, we were dominantly British. Uh, he was of uh, direct African ascent, and he was also the first New Hampshire archaeologist. New Jersey, in 17, uh, July 2nd, 1776, ratified their resolution the same day as the Lee Resolution, which if you've watched me, I've talked about how the Lee Resolution is what transformed the colonies into states. All inhabitants, age 21 and above, with property worth at least 50 English pounds could vote. So again, gender and ethnicity was not an issue. Okay, now here's what happened. Here's where everything went south. And I'm reading from my notes, if you're wondering what I'm looking at. New Jersey, 1797. A bitter contest for a seat in the New Jersey Senate legislature eruptured, eruptured or erupted between John Condict, a Jeffersonian Republican from Newark, and then William Crane, a Federalist from Elizabeth. Condict won the election, but only by a narrow margin after Federalists from Elizabeth turned out a large number of women to vote, okay? And this was probably the first election in U.S. history where a substantial group of women went to the polls. So in other words, the one politician almost lost his race, the Republican almost lost his race because of the women that turned out to vote in that. So in uh, 1806, um, Newark, well, it should be Newark, I don't think. I think it should be, um, yeah, Condict. Huh, that's strange. I don't know why I put that. And Elizabeth again faced off at the polls, this time over at the side of a new courthouse. During three days of voting, partisans from both towns used every legal and illegal device to gather the most votes. Hmm, sounds familiar. Uh, men and boys white and black, citizens and aliens, residents and non-residents uh, voted many times. <laughs> Sounds like 2022 and 2023, or 2020. Women and girls, married and single, with or without property, joined the election frenzy. And then males even dressed up as females and went and voted. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this all proves that ethnicities and women were voting. It wasn't just a bunch of white men that had the right to vote back then. That's a narrative that is false. So this crisis uh, that was created from the legal means on probably both sides, but you know, the whole thing was jacked up. They had to come up with a solution, okay? Uh, so their solution was to ban women from voting. So again, if we didn't have a right to vote, how can you ban us? So obviously we had a right to do so. So the following year, the state legislature passed a new election law uh, to clean up any confusion people would have on who could vote. The law declared, quote, it was highly necessary to the safety, 
Have you heard that before? Quiet the good order and dignity of the state. No persons were to be allowed to vote except free white men who own property worth at least 50 uh, pounds or were taxpayers. Such voters would also have to be citizens and residents of the county where they voted, which I don't mind that part, but the white men. So the campaign for this new election law was led by John Condit, the legislature who was nearly uh, defeated in 1797 while many, when many women voted for his opponent. Okay, so here is where, so this was, um, so not 1806, following year 1807, it sounds like they passed this law. There's also um, uh, memoirs of Eleanor, Eleanor Eldridge, 1784 to 1845 is when she lived. And she shares about a father, Robin, who gained his freedom. He served in the uh, Continental Army. Um, and then she gained her, uh, operated a domestic services build, built business in Providence, Rhode Island. Island. She purchased land. She built rental properties using the wealth she gained as a business owner. She was defrauded by a white lender and recovered her property through the courts and with help of the activist Harriet Whipple Green. We have a Victoria Woodhall and her sister who were the first female brokers on Wall Street, guys. Uh, 1868, and she was the first woman to address a continental or congressional committee and the first woman to run for president in 1870. Uh, women were voting uh, in Wyoming since 1870. Uh, Lydia Sayer Hasbrock, I think is how you say her name, she served in the Middletown uh, New York Board of Education in 1880. Uh, she was elected mayor of Argonia, Kansas in uh, April 8. Uh, 4th, 1887. Belva Lockwood ran for president in 1884. I mean, all of these women were doing these things before the 19th Amendment. That's why I'm sharing these examples. We've got women that were at a state house of representatives in Colorado. There's like three of them that you can look up. An entire town council in Canoob, Utah, uh, was women, including the mayor, in 1912. So remember, the 19th Amendment was in 1920. Um, Jeanette Rankin was a U.S. House of Representatives from Montana since 1917. So, um, all of that to say, the narrative that the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote, as I've just proven, is false. So let's go back and read it again. The right of the citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied nor abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex because they understood and agreed that a right to vote is inherent. And so they had to enshrine that inherent right so that they could take legal, uh, you know, uh, legal action if any states decided not to obey this law. So it also says, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, you know, they wanna keep, back then, they wanted to keep the power to the states, but when you have states that are violating the rights of citizens, then the 19th Amendment was the only thing that they could do, and of course it was ratified. Now, what's interesting 
is Georgia didn't ratify it for their state until February of 1970 because their state law uh, recognized the right of women to vote from 1922. Um, and so voter qualification is the authority of the states to this day. However, you cannot deny someone the right to vote based upon their gender, okay? And uh, so there's just, you know, uh, numerous examples and many more women that were very involved in politics, etc. But savvy politicians use the woman suffrage movement to hijack it and to make it seem like women were victims and that America has been, you know, um, against women and against other races from the very beginning so that we will feel that we're victims and so that there will be division among the people because just keep this in mind you've got people according to genesis chapter 11 that live through a flood they begin to procreate and instead of going out like god said to do they are building a tower to heaven god comes and checks out this tower and says if we don't confuse their languages, they're going to do what they set their mind to do. How? Unity. So these people that are controlling the narrative, like I explained in the beginning, know that unity equals a prosperous, healthy country. And if you don't want a healthy, prosperous country, and you want to take it over according to your political ideology and your global elitist mindset, what better way than to divide women and men and races, or let's just be plain, white and blacks, Asians and, I don't know, um, Mexicans, whatever. Whatever race they can do, race baiting, that's what they want to do. And people get paid really good money uh, to, to do that. Okay. The final thing um, I want to read off to you real fast. The following territories provide full voting statehood. So from 1869 all the way, these, these states had um, voting for women in place already. Wyoming, Utah, Washington, Montana, Alaska, and then the ones that um, had it even before the 19th Amendment. So this was, was from the time they were made states. These are prior to the 19th Amendment was Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Washington, California, Arizona, Kansas, Oregon, Illinois, Nebraska, Ohio, Indiana, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Montana, Nevada, New York, Michigan, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Iowa, Maine, Minnesota, Missouri, Tennessee, Wisconsin. Does that seem like a country that denied women the right to vote? Not to me. So now you know. Now you know the truth. It is a victim narrative to keep us separated and disempowered. All right, it is my gym time. You know what I'm saying? I need to go uh, get some muscles built. And uh, so I'm glad I was able to get this done. I don't know what I want to tackle next week, but I can guarantee you'll be something informative, hopefully educational, and hopefully that will give you a new perspective on some of what you're hearing and what our history is really about. All right, guys, have a good week. Small is a new big. God is shifting from the current church structure back to his original intent and design, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the original word that was used when Jesus was describing that he would build his
time when you see church, it's actually ecclesia. The ecclesia is his ruling government on earth made up of two or more. It's a noble, organic community, not a system. If you felt like a square peg trying to fit a round hole, or you know there's more, this training might be for you. If you know that God is moving in the marketplace and you want to be equipped to partner with him, this training is for you. with this training. Go to churchshift.me. That is churchshift.me.